Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. I want to ask you today, if you have God's word with you this morning, would you take the Bible and open it with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for this morning's message. If you are new to church or new to the scriptures, the words will be here on the screen in front of you. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we turn our attention today to a meal in the Bible. Really a meal that is often referred to as a supper that is very important and has great significance for every single person who understands what it means and ultimately who it represents. When I think about the idea of a supper, my mind goes back to my childhood. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I lived for and looked forward to Saturdays. Can anybody give me a witness to that, amen? I loved Saturdays. My week was filled with all kinds of things, from school and ministry to sports and ministry to guitar lessons and ministry and all these different things. But Saturdays were the day. Saturday was a day where on many occasions we had nothing planned. And so what that meant is that my brother and I had all day to get in trouble. I mean, to have fun and explore along the way. We lived out in the country and living out in the country, we had four wheelers and we would go exploring and we had some neighbors that lived, you know, a a few acres away. And so we'd get together and we'd hang out and we'd fish and we'd explore in the woods. And Saturdays were the days that we lived for Occasionally, on a Friday night, we would be all at home together, and my dad would announce to my brother and I, tomorrow is a work day. And when he would say that, you could literally hear the music, dun, 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 you know? And so the reality, it was a work day. And what that meant was, on our little hobby farm of chickens and sheep and different animals, it meant that we had a day that we were gonna be working out in the yard. It might mean that we were cleaning the chicken coop. It might mean that we were shearing the sheep. It might mean that we were taking care of something for dad or building something along the way. But it meant it was going to be a day, as soon as dad woke us up, where basically we were gonna be outside working. But one thing I loved about those days, no matter we were playing out in the field with friends or whether we were working out in the field with our dad, the best part of the day was no doubt, as the sun began to go down in the humidity and heat of Alabama, whenever my mom had the meal, the dinner, the supper prepared. Because when supper was prepared, here's what she would do. She would go outside on the back porch of our house. We had one of those like triangular chimes, if you know what I'm talking about. She would take it and she would ring it, ding, 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 ding. And then she would scream out loud, supper's ready, supper's ready. And I'm telling you, it was music to my ears. Because that meant no matter what was going on, it was time to run to the house, it was time to get inside, and it was time to sit down and enjoy a meal. I remember on many occasions running straight to the house only to find the disappointment that my mom would not let me sit at the table immediately. No, there were things that she made us do first. We had to leave our shoes at the door. Oftentimes she made us go to our bedroom and change shirts because we were so filthy. But then I will never forget the most painful thing was this. She would make us wash our hands in the kitchen sink and she would stand over our shoulder to make sure we actually did a good job of washing our hands. 
Why? Because she knew that only the Lord knew what our hands had been in that day, and she was not allowed to allow us to bring that to the table. The point is simply this. When we were going to enjoy that meal, my mom was very intentional to make sure we were clean and we were ready and we were prepared to partake of that meal. Well, today here at Crosslink, we are partaking of something that is commonly known in the church as the Lord's Supper. But it is not noted by the amount of food that we will be partaking of. It is not noted by the hands that have prepared it in a homemade fashion. But it has much greater significance and much greater importance. But it demands today that we be prepared. So today as we open God's word to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I wanna to preach to you on the subject, more than a meal. And my hope in our time together is this, that we will begin to fully understand what the Lord's Supper really is, what it represents, why it's important, and how we should partake of it today, more than a meal. If you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Beginning in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says this. For I received from the Lord, everybody say from the Lord, that which I also have delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he is betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. Everybody say the word examine. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come more than a meal. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this moment that you've given us here in this time. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. Help us to understand the importance of the Lord's Supper. Help us to recognize what it means, but also help us in our hearts and lives today to be prepared to partake of it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Maybe you would ask today, Pastor Matthew, why are we not just partaking of the Lord's Supper today? Why are we taking time to really focus on it in every aspect of the service, including the sermon? And really, the answer is quite simple. First, because there are many people here at Crosslink today who I'll refer to as first-generation Christians, Many who did not grow up in a Christian family. You didn't grow up being taught about Jesus and about his sacrifice. In fact, you're the first person in your family to hear that gospel message, to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And now today, by God's grace, you are a part of Crosslink. But there's at the same time, many people here today who've been raised in church your whole life. 
You grew up in a Christian environment where you were going to church, whether you liked it or not, and your parents taught you different things, and you saw the Lord's Supper practice, but because of the traditions and because of the ways in which we were raised, there are many things about the Lord's Supper we don't fully understand. And at the same time, we have many people at Crosslink in recent days that are literally from other countries and other cultures, and the way that they experience and express the Lord's Supper might be very different than what we do here at Crosslink. So I remind us today, whether we've been saved for a few days or a few decades or what feels like a few centuries, the reality is in every aspect of our life today, we need to live our life not based upon what we feel, not based upon what mama and daddy said, not based upon what the traditions of this church or this denomination say, but rather, what does the word of God say? As it relates to the Lord's Supper, I believe there's many things that God wants us to hear and know and ultimately apply in our life. See, see, when God spoke to the Apostle Paul and he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, Corinth was frankly a church that was greatly struggling. Now, they were filled with many people who believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior. They were following him as the Lord of their life, but they greatly struggled in how they lived that out. And as a result of that, most people will tell you today that the church at Corinth was the most corrupt church of the entire New Testament. There were major moral issues at the church at Corinth. There were issues of unfaithfulness in the context of marriage. There were also issues of division. In fact, not only were there squabbles within the church, but even outside of the church and the community, there were some that were taking one another to court and suing them in the public, uh, public eye so that it brought a reproach on the name of Christ. There at the church of Corinth, there were misuse of spiritual gifts and there were many people who were putting themselves on a platform as if they were better than the other people around them. And yet one of the other things that we find was wrong in the church of Corinth is this. They didn't fully understand or apply the Lord's Supper in the way that God intended. In fact, there were some who were even questioning, why is this important? Why should we even do this? And as a result of that, they were trying to excuse themselves from participating. Whereas there were others of this that were partaking of it in such a flippant, careless way that they really didn't show the respect for the Lord Jesus Christ that was deserved. So what is it that we need to know? How can we participate and why should we do so today? All these questions and more are answered in this message more than a meal. So I want us today in our time together to answer five questions about the Lord's Supper. And my hope today is that it will instruct you, that it will encourage you, and if you've been a believer for a long time, that it would also remind you of why it is so important and what it means. If you're ready to study this morning, would you say, all right, all right, five things. Number one, what is the Lord's Supper? What is the Lord's Supper? To understand the Lord's Supper, we simply have to do a little bit of background information to understand what's going on. We call this the Lord's Supper in reference to Jesus Christ because this is a supper that he instituted, that he initiated, and all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record the same thing. Now, Jesus did not make this meal from scratch. In fact, the Bible gives the indication here that as they go to the upper room in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13, that the elements are there and prepared because it is already a time for the Jewish people to celebrate a celebration called Passover. Now, in Passover, the Bible tells us for centuries now, the Jews had been observing Passover. The Passover is what took place all the way back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 12. Maybe you remember the story in the Old Testament where the Israelites, the Jewish people, were enslaved in Egypt. 
And they cried out to God. They begged God, God, would you rescue us? Would you deliver us from this slavery and this oppression? And the Bible says that God had mercy on them and compassion on them. He raised up a man by the name of Moses. And Moses went to the Egyptian Pharaoh and he said, the living God of heaven declares to you, Pharaoh, let my people go. The Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. He didn't want to release the Jewish people. And as a result of that, God warned him, if you don't release them, I'm going to send plagues against you. But he still hardened his heart and rejected God. The Bible says that God began to send plague after plague against Pharaoh and against the Egyptians. And finally, it all led to a climactic moment with the 10th plague when God looked at the Egyptian. And here's what he said. At midnight, at midnight, here's what God told to Moses. I'm going to send my messenger. You get the picture here of the angel of the Lord. And this tenth and final, the worst of all the plagues is this. The firstborn male in every home of Egypt will be killed. The firstborn male, even in the fields of Egypt, will be killed. But there is a way you can be rescued. There's a way you can be delivered. There's a way that you can be saved. There's a way you can be spared this death. And that is this. I want you to take a lamb, a spotless, innocent male lamb, and I want you to offer it as a sacrifice. And if you will trust in me and believe my word, I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to put it over the doorpost. And when I come, when I see the blood applied over that doorpost, if you believed in me and trusted me and obeyed me, I will pass over and spare you. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 12, verses 23 through 24, and then verses 33 and 34 again, we see that's exactly what happened. That very night at midnight, there was weeping and mourning and grief all throughout Egypt. But amongst the Jewish people, there was celebration and deliverance. Why? Because that very night, because they had trusted in God's word, they had applied the blood of that spotless lamb. Because of that, God had passed over them. He had saved them the judgment that they would otherwise would have experienced. So quickly did they end up leaving Egypt that night that the Bible says this in verses 33 through 34. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we will all be dead. Listen to this. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulder. The Egyptians were so grieved in this moment that they literally told the Israelites, just go, just go quickly. And here they began leaving Egypt with unleavened bread that didn't even have time to rise. Fast forward a whole bunch of years. All throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people were celebrating Passover. And one of the ways they would observe it was by eating unleavened bread and by drinking the grape juice, drinking the fruit of the vine as a picture and as a reminder of the night many years ago that they believed in God. They applied the blood over the doorpost and God saved and delivered them. Here in the upper room, the disciples are getting ready to observe the Passover meal, remembering the salvation that God brought centuries earlier. And here in this moment, Jesus took these simple elements of bread and a cup and gave them much deeper meaning, much greater significance. Here in this moment, Jesus looked at them and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
In other words, there in that moment, Jesus repurposed, for lack of a better term, the bread and the cup, and here's what he said. I'm giving this deeper meaning. From this point forward, this bread will be a picture of my body that is broken for you, and this cup will be a picture of my blood that will be poured out for you. Can you imagine the imagery in that moment as Jesus takes the bread and breaks it? And then he begins to hand it to the disciples one by one as they break that bread and pass it around the table. By the time it gets to the end, what you have is a very mangled piece of loaf of bread still remaining. And Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. In other words, what is the Lord's Supper? It is simply this. It is a visible picture and practice that reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus. Today, in just a moment, when we take of the bread and of the cup, I hope that it will be a picture that will take our mind back to what Jesus has done for us. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for pictures along the way. We are getting ready to celebrate, as some of you others are as well, and some already celebrated yesterday, we're getting ready to celebrate the graduation of a senior in our house. We've been looking through a lot of pictures And as we've been looking through pictures, I've begun to recognize this situation and that situation and this memory and that memory. And as I've gone back through some of those pictures, I've looked back and thought, why in the world did I ever grow a beard? That was ridiculous. (laughs) And as I've gone back through some other pictures, I found myself looking back to even older pictures when I was a kid and I'm looking at old pictures and I see a picture of my dad and I'm thinking, why in the world is he wearing bell bottoms? That was crazy. Find a picture of my mom with her, per, per, her permanent in her hair, and I'm thinking, well, thank God that fashion changed a little bit. I'm, the fact is, when you look at those pictures and it takes your mind back, today as we take these elements, we look at these things, and it takes your mind back as a memory of what Jesus has done when he gave his life for us. We should not only remember that Jesus died, we need to personalize that and recognize why Jesus died. It's not just that he was dying a death that he deserved. He was dying for you and for me in our place as a substitute for us. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we, us, you and I, were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what is the Lord's Supper? It is a visible reminder of what Jesus has done. The second question I would ask then is this, is not only what is the Lord's Supper, But why should one partake of the Lord's Supper? Paul begins to then move on to the next word of advice, if you will, next word of instruction to say, no, this is why you should partake. You shouldn't just sit by passively and not participate and do nothing, perhaps. Why should you partake? And I think he gives us three reasons as to why. Number one, because this supper was delivered by the Lord. This was delivered by the Lord. One of the things that you will know, perhaps, certainly in our, in our culture, perhaps, but certainly when you go to other cultures, it's very offensive to not partake of something that has been prepared and delivered to you. I remember several years ago now being on a missions trip and sitting at the table. We had been working out kind of in the, in the villages all day. We came back in and they put a plate of food before me and I, as God is my witness, I had no idea what I was looking at. And I looked over at the missionary and he was looking at me, smiling. And I was looking back at him and saying, He looked back at me, oh yes you are. And what he was saying is, this has been prepared for you. It has been delivered to you. And so I ate very, very slowly that day and uh, survived, thank you Jesus. But the point is, is in this moment, Jesus is the one who is delivering the meal. Notice what the Bible says in verse 23. Paul says, for I received from the Lord 
That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. In other words, the institution of the Lord's Supper was not ordained by any tradition or any denomination. The institution of the Lord's Supper was not a man-made religious idea. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, 100% God, 100% man. And where did this idea come from? It came directly from him. In other words, what Paul's saying is, listen, I didn't get this from the Apostle Peter. I didn't get this from the other church that said, hey, you gotta do this. No, I got this directly from Jesus. The same Jesus who called Paul to salvation, the same Jesus that called Paul to the gospel ministry, the same Jesus who commissioned Paul to take the gospel of the Gentiles is the same Jesus who delivered to Paul the importance of this supper. It's delivered by Jesus. Secondly, this supper was directed by Jesus. The idea of direction here is that it is a direct command. It is a direct instruction. We see that loud and clear in two simple words, verse 25. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Listen to this statement. Do this. Very simple, right? I mean, Jesus simply says, here's this supper that I'm instituting. Here's the bread. Here's the cup. Here's the command. Profound, right? Do it. And we might want to ask why. We may not understand all the details yet. Maybe we're a young believer and there's much we've got to learn and figure out. But the rest, Jesus simply says, do this. I don't know about you parents, but... I've been a parent long enough. There are some times that I tell my child to do something and they have a million questions. Why? What for? When? And there are times I do my best to explain and try to instruct, but then there are times that I just simply have to say, I just need you to do it. Because I said so. That's exactly why, right? Jesus, listen, just do this. It's what he's largely saying. It's a word of instruction. Remember we've seen in recent weeks that kind of the sub-theme of this series of messages, the importance of trusting the Lord's word and obeying the Lord's word. Just a few weeks ago, we saw in John chapter two where, where Jesus is at the wedding in Cana of Galilee and Mary, she looked at the servants that were there at the wedding as they'd run out of wine and she looked at them and says, whatever he says to you, do it. And we understand that. Surely we accept the command, the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the seconds like and do it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the command in the direction of the Lord. Surely as a church, we understand that direction to take the gospel into all the worlds. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But do we as intently take seriously this command, do this in remembrance of him. Number three, we partake of the Lord's Supper because the Supper is our declaration about the Lord. It is our declaration about the Lord. Listen to the way the word is described here in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, when you and I in just a moment take of the bread and take of the cup, it is not merely an action that we are performing. It is a message that we are proclaiming. In fact, I realize today that we live in a culture where many, many people have a very, very real fear of public speaking. I'm not gonna ask you by show of hands, but I'd like to ask you all spontaneously to come up and preach the rest of the message. We'll see how it goes, okay? We have a fear of public speaking. But when the Bible says you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes, the word for proclaim here literally 
is the same word we get our English word preach from. Some of us are, Pastor, I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't wanna be preaching next Sunday's message. I don't. The Bible's telling us that every time we take of the Lord's Supper, we are literally preaching something aloud for the people who are watching us observe this. It is a public proclamation that we are identified. We believe in and we accept Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. Why do we take of the Lord's Supper? Because it was delivered by Jesus. It was directed by Jesus, but it also is a means of declaring we have accepted Jesus personally in our life. That's why we partake. Number three, when should we partake of the Lord's Supper? What is it? It's a visible representation of what Jesus has done for us. Why should we partake? Because it's been declared, directed, or been delivered, directed by Jesus, and it's our declaration to others. But then third, when should we partake? Or maybe the better question is, how often should we partake of the Lord's Supper? It would be very easy to skip this question this morning. But, but the truth is, is that anytime we go through the membership process at Crosslink, this is without a doubt the most commonly asked question as it relates to the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Everybody wants to know, well, when should we partake of this? Some have suggested, for example, since Passover happened, the celebration happened once a year, we should partake of the Lord's Supper once a year. That's the true background to the meal, people would suggest. There are others who would suggest, no, 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 no. The early church met, the Bible says, on the first day of every week, and they broke bread, the Bible says, so maybe that means they were taking communion every Sunday, and so this means that we need to take out the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. But that's not what the Bible gives as instruction. In fact, if this were given as instruction, this would have been the perfect opportunity for the Holy Spirit to lead the Apostle Paul to clarify. So when you come together on the first day, here's exactly what you're to do, but that is not what he says. Notice what the Bible says in verse 25. So as often as you, verse 26, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, when should you do it? As often as the Lord would lead. Or in this context, because God did not give an absolute clear command and instruction of when and how that should be practiced, ultimately, here's the answer. We should partake of the Lord's Supper as often as needed or determined by the elders of the local church. Maybe another simple way to say that is this. There is nothing wrong with partaking of the Lord's Supper every single Sunday, so long as you don't take it flippantly and lose focus on what it's really all about. But there's also nothing wrong with taking it only once a year, so long as you are not rejecting and ignoring what God has commanded you to do. Here at Crosslink, we strive to have balance in that to where we are announcing it to you so that we can take these moments like today to really think about the sacrifice that Jesus has given as really as to, to praise him for what he's going to do and to really examine our hearts and lives. When should you take? As often as the Lord would lead, so long as the message of his sacrifice, the motive of us being repentant and restored to one another and to him is fulfilled in our lives. And as a result of that, every single time we partake of that at Crossing, our hope is that it will be a special time in our relationship with the Lord as well as in our relationship with others. Number four, I want you to look at a fourth question is this, who should participate in the Lord's Supper? Who should participate in the Lord's Supper? 
as we think about this, it would seem fairly simple, right? Many of you here today, well, man, I've been at Crosslink for a long time. I've been a faithful member here, and so, so surely I should partake. But do you have to be a member of Crosslink or do you have to be a member of the local church? Who should participate in the Lord's Supper? Well, again, all we gotta do is get back to God's word. The truth is, in the context of this, Jesus was instituting this ordinance by giving it, the bread and the cup, to his disciples. These are the individuals who have believed in him. They recognize that he's the savior of the world. They literally had left everything to follow him. So it's clear that the disciples of Jesus should be the ones who follow him. But it's also further implied by this statement in verse 25. Listen to this. This cup, Jesus says, is the new covenant in my blood. Now think of this for just a moment. All the way back in that culture, when the Jews prior to this moment were partaking of the bread and partaking of the cup, they were remembering God's deliverance of old. As they were taking the cup at the Passover meal, they were remembering how God spared the Israelites of that judgment, how he delivered them from death and ultimately delivered them from all of Egypt through the shedding of blood of the Passover lamb, the Passover sacrifice. That's what the Jews were remembering. But I want you to think about the fullness of God in this moment. I want you to think for a moment of how profound the omniscience of God is, how profound the sovereign plan of God is. What is it in this moment? Years later, it is the Passover meal. Interestingly enough, it is the very same night, the Bible says, by which Jesus was being betrayed. Interesting. So here is Jesus on the very same night, uh, the night before Passover. Here he is being betrayed. And how is Jesus himself identified in the New Testament? As he begins his earthly ministry, he's walking along and John the Baptist sees him, the Bible says in John 1 verse 29, and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, what Jesus is bringing us to a realization is this. That Old Testament Passover sacrifice, that Old Testament spotless, innocent male lamb that was slaughtered and the blood was applied over the doorpost so that there would be deliverance and salvation, it was but a picture of the perfect lamb that would come, the spotless lamb that would come, the sinless lamb that would come to give his life and to lay it down for the sins of the world. There in that moment, Jesus was soon to be tried, he was soon to be beaten, he was soon to be spat upon and mocked, he was soon to be crucified, all the way to go to the cross so that you and I could be forgiven and washed clean and set free from our sin. Paul looks back now at Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sanctified. In other words, who should partake of the Lord's Supper? Every single person who has looked at the sacrifice of Jesus, not merely as a historical fact, but as a personal promise, he died for me. He's forgiven me. He saved me. He washed me clean through the blood that he shed on Calvary. It means today that you do not have to be necessarily a member of Crosslink to participate, but you must be a member of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church of the living. Know him and love him. 
And all such ought to be welcomed at the Lord's table, for it is his table after all and not ours. The question then causes us to pause, doesn't it? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you accepted what he did on Calvary's cross for you personally? It's not about how many times you've been to church or what your grandparents taught you or what your good works and motives are. No, have you personally accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Ask him to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you? Have you believed in Jesus? The answer to that is no. Today you have an opportunity to know that your sins are forgiven. And if the answer to that is yes, I think God calls us then next to two practical applications as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Who should partake? Simply those who are believers in Jesus. But with that, I think there's some words of encouragement. What is that first word? It is this idea that we are to partake with gratitude. Be grateful. Who should partake of the Lord's Supper? Here's who. Grateful believers. Yes, partaking of the Lord's Supper is a serious time. But that doesn't mean that it has to be somber. In fact, even as Jesus is there on the very night, knowing he was soon to be crucified, he takes the bread and he gives thanks. He takes the cup and he gives thanks. He knew what this was about to cost him. He knew that he was about to lay down his life and yet he still gave thanks. Why? Because he knew that it was through this sacrifice we would find eternal life. Be grateful. In fact, where the Bible says that Jesus gave thanks, this word comes gives, our, gives us our English word, Eucharist, which is a reminder of the idea that we're to come with thanksgiving. Today, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, let this be a time where we express our gratitude for Jesus for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. But not only should we be grateful, we should also be examining. Be examining. Yes, Believing, grateful believers should partake, but also we must be examining believers. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, no one ought to come to the table who is not a true believer, nor should a true believer come to the table if his heart is not right with God and with his fellow Christians. Listen to what the Bible says of instruction, verse 28. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This word examine literally means to test himself, to prove himself is the idea here. The picture is the idea that we are literally putting ourselves on trial and we are examining and we are asking the Holy Spirit of God, show me, Lord, is there anywhere that I have sinned against you? Is there anything that I have disobeyed? Is there any way that I have erred away from you? Is there any issue between a brother or sister in Christ? Is there any offense? Is there any stumbling block? Is there anything that I need to confess and turn from today? And we examine ourselves. Can I just pause for a moment and remind us that it's very easy for us in our nature to be like the Corinthian believers. They were experts at examining everyone else but they struggle greatly to examine themselves. As we take of the Lord's Supper today, God is calling us to pause and to examine. And as the Holy Spirit begins to make us aware, as the Holy Spirit shows us what's there in our life, as the Holy Spirit reveals sin in our life, we are to confess it and we are to turn from it. And it is then and only then that we are ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. 
Let me illustrate that for just a moment. I've been talking about the Jewish culture and the context of how they celebrated the Passover meal. For seven days leading up to the Passover meal, they would not eat any leaven at all. On the final day before the Passover feast, the family would all gather together and then they would be sent on a basically a mission. They would go through the entire house looking to find any leaven. Is there any leaven here? Is there any leaven in the house? Anything that they're waiting to remove. And if they found any leaven, which was a rising agent for bread basically, as they found any leaven, they would bring it together and they would burn it and consume it. And it was only after everyone had searched and it had been removed that the house was considered kosher and clean and prepared to take over the Passover meal. Why is that important? It's important because of how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter five. Paul compares leaven to unconfessed hidden sin in our lives. Listen to what he says. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and of evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here's his point. Just as leaven invades an entire lump of dough, sin can invade the entire life of a believer or a congregation when it remains hidden and unconfessed in our life. So we need to examine and confess it, turn from it. If you're still with me, would you say all right? Final question. How should we partake then of the Lord's Supper? What is the Lord's Supper? It is a visual picture and practice of what Jesus has done for us. Why should we partake? Because it's been delivered and directed by Jesus. It is a means by which we declare that we are with Christ. When should we take? As often as the Holy Spirit of God leads or as determined by the elders of the local church. Finally, we come to this question, how should we partake? I think when you put it all together, there's four practical applications to how we partake of the Lord's Supper today. Number one, we partake by looking back and remembering what Jesus has done for you. I realize we all wanna look forward. We wanna dream big plans for the future. But the reality is today, God calls us to take time to look back and remember that what Jesus did at Calvary 2,000 years ago still matters today. Secondly, we partake of the Lord's Supper, how? By looking forward and rejoicing in his return. We're not just looking back and remembering that Jesus died. No, Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. And today he's in heaven preparing a place for all who believe. And the Bible says we take of the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming his death, when? Until he comes again. In other words, we partake knowing that one day our faith will end in sight. One day we will be with him in glory. One day, literally, we will partake of this together with him face to face. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 26, verse 29. I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Talking about a supper of celebration that will be. Jesus is coming again. We can live in readiness of that. Number three, we partake not only by looking back and remembering, by looking forward and rejoicing, but we partake today by looking inward and repenting of sin. It's a moment where we're looking inward and examining, Lord, is there anything I've said or done 
any thoughts I've been dwelling on. Truth is, we can hide a great deal from other people. We can't hide anything from God. Or is there anything in my life that I need to confess? The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we look inward, we believe that promise, we confess our sin and we experience his joy and forgiveness. And finally, we partake by looking outward and recognizing the body of Christ. Verse 33, so then my brethren, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. Yes, it is the Lord's Supper, but it is meant as a family meal. And as we look outward, we are in, in many ways identifying the body of Christ. This does not mean that we look outward in a critical way. Oh, that person shouldn't be doing that. Oh, I wonder if they've really confessed that sin yet. No, 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 no. It's not about our judgment. It simply means of identifying we're brothers and sisters in Christ, the same family of believers, trusting Jesus, looking to him, and living for him. In other words, the Lord's Supper today, it's not a tradition. It's not a feast. In many ways, it's hard to even call it a meal, but it is so much more than a meal, isn't it? Here's my question for all of us today. Are you ready to partake of the Lord's Supper? My, my mom would holler and call, supper's ready, supper's ready. And we'd come run and we were ready because we were hungry. But in order to be fed, we had to make some, sure some preparations were made. Today, we make those preparations by believing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We make those preparations as we examine our heart. We make those preparations as we seek to be right with God and right with others. Are you ready? Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.